Hi, and welcome back to our episode of Conversations, the Onward series from the book Onward by Elena Aguilar. I'm excited to welcome back our professional learning team, Carrie Douglas. Hello. Hi, and Sam Zavala. Hello. Great, and I'm your host, Monica. So I'm excited to kick off the December topic, chapter eight of her book called Cultivating Compassion. This book just touches on how having compassion for others really helps you more success, be more successful in your job, but it's a very layered topic. So she talks about how it just helps us to really deal with the interpersonal challenges that we are constantly facing as educators and how that perspective really helps us to navigate the complexity of our jobs and how we really are built to connect with others. So we crave connection with other people and really want to see the best in everyone. So in speaking about what compassion offers, she talks about how exercising compassion for others really helps our relationships, like I said, with interpersonal and to broaden our perspective. So first question I have for us to kind of discuss and collaborate on is when we exercise compassion, there are a host of benefits ranging from softening our hearts, like I just said, to strengthening relationships. So in thinking about a time you decided to dive into compassion instead of another path of reaction, what kind of benefits did you see from that posture? So I really like the quote that she had on page 200 uh, that says, cultivating compassion is like taking a really good multivitamin. It addresses many needs, prevents problems, repairs systemic imbalances, and makes you stronger. And I think that's just kind of a good summary of what compassion can do for us as professionals and educators. I think anytime you offer compassion or you show compassion to um, a colleague or anyone in your life, not only does it build that other person up, but it builds you up as well. And it just creates a positive situation in general. Um, it opens collaboration and opens lines of communication that may have been um, shut down for whatever reason before. Um, and so I think the biggest thing for me with showing compassion is just opening up that collaboration and, and being personal and having that connection with someone that may have been damaged or may just not be as good as you'd like it to be. Yeah, um, I like. I actually highlighted that same quote um, when I read it about the multivitamin and how compassion is like a preventative medicine. And I think in any field, but especially education, and especially right now, um, really taking um, a look at compassion and taking other people's perspectives when we're really questioning things that are happening can, if we take a step back and really look at that and exercise compassion, I think it would open up our minds to a lot of different. Um, things that are going on because when we do that we don't see it from our lens we see it from multiple lenses and I think that gives us a better understanding of what people go through um, and it also just makes us just reflect and so I think that's one of the good things that um, she was talking about you have to practice compassion because mm -hmm. and make sure that you're doing it but it's something that just makes you better so it's something I feel like we should constantly do, even when it's maybe not what we want to do. Yeah, I think that that goes parallel when you just said talking about practicing it. It's not like a natural skill. It's natural for us to want to be connected to others, but it's not natural for us to be considering everyone else's perspectives because we're human and like we have stuff going on too. 
And when you're in a person-centered job, there's just so many different types of people. And I almost feel like, and this is no knock to my alma mater, but like in college for me, and this is, you know, over a decade ago at this point, but there wasn't a lot of conversations of like how to navigate relationships at work. And I remember being 22, brand new teacher on a campus, really coming into counter with different personalities that I had never encountered before because you're in college, you're in high school, whatever. And also being in a new situation of being like a full-time career adult, you just like, you're like, wait, why is this person acting like this? Or, you know, you're, you just don't connect with people in a way. And I feel like that could be a really untapped potential for content because it's not that our parents don't prepare us for that. There are different avenues that we prepare. Us. Like if you're an athlete, you've been on a sports team or organizations, et cetera. I just feel like, I don't know. I just feel like that's just something that you really have to practice and be intentional about because it's not natural to be like, why is this person acting like a maniac? Like well, the I first think, thing is to be irritated. Yeah. And I think you have a certain like expectation for adults, you know, that you come into and you're like, this, this isn't going to happen because yeah. we're all adults here, yeah. but we all make mistakes and we all slip up from time to time. And so it's just a matter of having that, like Sam said, that perspective. And she says here too, like, consider that everyone is doing the best they can based on their knowledge and their skills right. and their experiences, they're making the best choices that are available to them. So it's, you know, we can't really fault people for their areas of growth is what she's saying. But, you know, our reaction to that in the moment, if we're not being intentional, could be, could be one that could, you know, really bring down a PLC or a teammate or, yeah. you know, a campus in general. So. Well, and I think our team does a good job focusing on that because we do encounter so many different types of people for listeners. We're a professional learning department for a district with 7,000 employees, 55,000 students. So we really do see <laughs> the variety of the people that we serve. And you know what? It's not always easy. We'll be honest, like we're human, but there are times when we get questions that have nothing to do with us and we can respond in two ways. Like we can be short and like, that's not our department. Or we can move on and say like, hey, yes, it's, we're happy to connect you with so-and-so, they're honest, whatever we do. But I think that that can be applied in any position in education or if you're not in education listening to this, just offering the Chick-fil-A service to people because like you were just saying, we don't know what people's backgrounds are. Also too, it reminds me of that quote of like, the, or those cartoons that show people with like loads on their back, but they're invisible, you can't see them. You don't know what people are carrying. Mm -hmm. And so um, I just, I think that's really important. I just want to say too, I forgot to note on the sound, we're in a room and we're socially distanced and we're also wearing masks. So if you're wondering why it might sound a little muffled, bear with us in a podcast pandemic situation. So, <laughs> all right. So let's dive into self-compassion and the importance that that has in our lives. And I know sometimes this can be a little overdone along with like self-care, but I like that she is saying that one way to show self-compassion is to include setting boundaries and someone else's behaviors, which I thought was interesting that she connected those two because I do believe in setting boundaries with people mentally um, and in situations. But as educators, why is it so important for us to set boundaries around someone else's behaviors? I think what automatically comes to mind with this, it was several times where I've had to do that with uh, certain parents um, that I dealt with with students because um, like you had mentioned before, like we know how to deal with people on like on an interpersonal level, but then in the professional world, when we start seeing all these other different personalities and um, parents fall into that, and, you know, um, I, it brings to mind like one specific um, 
instance that I had with a single parent and, you know, uh, everything that goes with that, because being a single parent is so tough. Mm -hmm. And I was working in a Title I district at the time and knowing the history and everything and how uh, I had to, you know, put boundaries around the behavior because I knew that I had to remind myself it's not me Mm -hmm. Um, and really still have compassion, which was hard. Um, But at the same time, I knew that I had to really set boundaries and, you know, look at her perspective and then try to find a way to still be compassionate and work with this parent. And at the end of, you know, the year, it ended up working out. But it's, I always come to mind to that one specific um, instance with this particular parent. And that was one time I really had to exercise some self-compassion in that front with boundaries. Um, I also kind of was surprised when she brought up other people's behavior as a part of my own self-compassion. I never really like thought about that boundary thing, like putting up boundaries as a way to show compassion for myself. So that was interesting um, when I read that. But I think it's important, like kind of like you said, for teachers to do this because our profession is so personal. Like, yeah. We have so yeah. many connections with students, colleagues, leadership, parents. Um, like we have to come up cultivate that compassion for ourselves before we can truly experience it for others. Um, I like when she mentions that, you know, if we would be appalled uh, that something was happening to our best friend, why do we allow it to happen to ourselves? That was a really good point. Yeah. yeah, And she she actually mentioned that in November too. Like she um, was talking about how like talk to yourself, like you would talk to your best friend. Like if you would tell your best friend, like you need to leave that guy, like, you know, (laughs) then you probably should too. (laughs) Yeah. Like, (laughs) but um that's really just like stuck with me for the last like two months. I've just kind of been putting that into perspective. Like if I saw, you know, I picture my best friend, I'm like, if she was going through this, like, mm-hmm. what would I tell her? I'm like, okay, well now I need to listen to that myself or now I need to look at it from that perspective. And if something's happening where I need to set a boundary, like if I would give her that same advice, I need to start taking it myself. So Yeah. I feel like I've had an imaginary best friend yeah. with me since like November. Since November. <laughs> because I, I've, I've heard it before, but I don't know why this concept's sticking with me now, but it's the same thing. Like yeah. last week I was like super stressed about my to-do list, shocker alert. And I was, I mean, at night I was like overwhelmed with anxiety about this to-do list. And I'm like, I was, and I thought, this is my best friend. I would just say like, do what you can. Yeah. You cannot complete every single thing and have all these other things going on in your life to manage it. And it was actually a relief for me. Yeah. And so thanks, Elena. Um, <laughs> I also too think that it's really good that she's talking about putting boundaries because compassion fatigue is real. It's real in education period, but even this year in general, because the collective trauma we're going through, it's exhausting. Everybody is over the pandemic. Everybody is going <laughs> through this. And so on top of that, we're also dealing with, you know, like this morning, I just talked to someone who gave me a Christmas card and, um, you know, they have some, they said they had somebody dying of cancer in their family. It's like life hasn't stopped because we're in a yeah. pandemic. And then not to mention, like, it's just heightened all of these gaps and challenges in the classroom and on campuses too. And so those boundaries are so important because we have to cultivate a particular kind of detachment from the people we serve. Because if we literally take home the baggage of the people we're coming, we're coming in a counter with every single day, we cannot, we cannot sustain that empathy. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, it's not meaning to be like cold and be like, oh yeah, it stinks for you. And like moving on with your lives. It's just having a certain level of, I kind of like see like, you know, like in a hospital view of like someone's body, like floating and they kind of see the whole room. Like what, I'm sure there's a movie that I have that vision from, but kind of doing that, like 
okay. Cause I remember when I was 22 and I first got in the classroom, like every kid that told me everything, I was just, I would take it home. And I was so stressed all the time because I was like, I can't believe these kids are going through stuff like this. Again, I don't think I was properly, I don't think there was any content like that. Maybe there was, I don't know. Maybe I was just being like 19 and not absorbing the content in the college class. But I just feel like, you know, we have to have set those boundaries in order to have self-compassion because if not, we can have compassion fatigue and it can cause long-term implications for us as individuals. So uh, <laughs> compassion actions also mean extending it to the difficult people in our lives. So let's just talk about how not getting hooked in about attitudes and staying curious about the people that we are coming in encounter with who are the challenges since it's Christmas month, broken ornaments in our lives. <laughs> How can showing compassion help us in those interactions with those types of people? Well, I think that um, I like how she kind of gives some tips yeah. in her uh, in her book here about how to deal with difficult people. I think we've all had an experience with that for sure. Um, maybe it was us. <laughs> maybe I was a difficult person at some point <laughs> in my career. No. Um, <laughs> but um i like i like a couple of them that i kind of took note of here i like the first one that says listen to their complaints but without comment because i think i'm i like taking the role of like coach and like leader and so sometimes even if i don't mean to maybe sometimes when i'm giving them feedback or just like acknowledging what they're saying i'm giving the wrong kind of feedback and so they might continue being difficult or having that negative attitude so maybe sometimes i just need to listen and not say anything back <laughs> um it also says don't take other people's behavior personally. This one's hard for me too because I really like for people to like me. And, um, and when they are difficult, I feel like it's because, well, why don't you like me? Why don't you just do this because you like me? Um, why are you being a jerk? <laughs> why are you doing it? Yeah. Um, so those are a couple that stuck out. I did like the one, the last one, uh, cultivate awareness of common ground because sometimes it just feels like, I literally don't know what else to do with this person. Yeah. We have nothing in common. Yeah. I don't understand anything in their life or where they're coming from. And as human beings, there's always something somewhere that we can connect with and make some kind of um, build some kind of relationship from. So that was good to remind me. To we both work that. in the same school. Yes. <laughs> we both same work Monday hall. through Friday, eight hours a day. <laughs> You know yes. what? That actually could help. The climate is good thing could help because it's like, okay, we all have the same vision and purpose in mind. So exactly. like we can all say though that's in common. That's exactly. so true. I relate to everything <laughs> you just said for sure. Thanks for sharing, Carrie. What about you, Pam? Um, I think though one of the points that really stuck out to me was her eighth point about staying clear about your own values and how you can let go of anger if you want mm -hmm. and still make, be compassionate so and stay good. true to your values. And I, you know, I think this whole year encapsulated we had an election. We had all these other things going on. I feel like um, so uh, this is the year to exercise this point right here because we can have differing opinions, differing values, and still show compassion to one another. And I think that was one thing that I had to turn off the news for certain points, especially with like election and some of the things earlier this year, because it seemed like the lack of compassion was so overwhelming. I could not handle it. And uh, it just made me think of where did we, as people, bring it back in? Like, this is not the best that we can be. So when I read number eight, I was like, this should be like the theme for 2020 going into 2021. 
you can have differing opinions and have your own values and still be compassionate. And um, I think that just and that's just the overwhelming thing that's running in my mind right now. And also how she puts a special note for leaders. Yes. Uh, and that if you have a really difficult person that you are supervising, it is up to you to yes. set the culture and see Preach. And, <laughs> um, and how you're going to let that person work in your environment. Because if they overtake it, then it's all downhill from there. Yeah. It says you don't get to walk away. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I highlighted that. You do not get to walk away. Yeah. Because the problem yeah. is people, and this is, I'm just going to add this to you, Sam, is like, sometimes you just don't want to deal with it. Yeah. It's like, it will kill the culture of any organization. 100%. Because the problem is most of those people that are negative usually have some kind of power with the people around them. Exactly. And honestly, those people, even though they're negative or difficult, you can use them to move positive change in your organization, but if you do not let it go, it will overcome what you're trying to promote on your campuses or in your organization. Okay, I have two things I liked. One, remind yourself that people can change. That was a really good reminder to me because sometimes I'm huge on first impressions. I'm huge on if someone has behaved a certain way, then believe them. That is who they are. And it's a really good reminder to me that people can change, even at this age as adults, like people can change. So give grace to those difficult people. Yeah. And then number seven, say this to yourself, just like me, this person has suffered in her life. Just like me, this person wants to belong. And just like me, this person wants to be happy. And that one, literally, I saw a face of somebody that I come in encounter with mm -hmm. in our position. And, um, I, I felt like I had a little bit more compassion for that person because this person is very difficult to deal with. Probably the most stressful communication interaction that I have. And it's a pretty consistent one that I see this person a lot um, or communicate with them a lot. And so it made me just think, okay, like this per there, let's get curious about why this person acts like this. And then I just kind of like armchair counselor it. Counselor yeah. it, counseled it. Counseled. I'm trying to say armchair counselor, but as a verb, and that's yeah. not actually that's not a reality. No. But I'm going to make that happen. Thank you, Sam. Just, Sam's tapping her face like, mm. but I did. I armchair counselor, and I was like, you know, maybe this this person does have some insecurities or whatever. Like, I'm not going to sit here and go through the whole thing. Let's not try to figure out who this person is. But <laughs> I, it, it's, it was helpful for me because it's like we all want to be loved. We all have some kind of suffering, unfortunately, in our lives. And so it just like brings it back to, okay, this person is like us. And another thing that she kind of goes into in this book really can turn into like a counseling session one-on-one -on -one, <laughs> or if you're doing it in a book study. But I like that she talks about forgiveness because people just, I mean, forgiveness is just such a common word. It's talked about so much, but she really does dive in and talk about the actual ways and the research around forgiveness and the ways to forgive people. And I think she even says like how to say sorry, which I thought was great. Yeah. But it's funny, you think you're dealing with adults, but some people just don't know how to say mm -hmm. sorry. And I know nobody in this room or listeners know anybody like that. Especially if the, if you know their background or you come to find yeah. out about their yeah. life, maybe they it's didn't have method. someone to model yes. that for them. hundred percent. And I like the part where she said Buddha, you all know Buddha? Yeah. Yes, mm -hmm. uh, we go way back. <laughs> you know that guy? Oh, yeah. Buddha? Buddha? Yeah. Okay. Uh, hold on to anger. Holding on to anger is like grasping a hot coal with the intent of throwing it at someone else. You are the only one getting burned. And I was like, yes, Buddha. Um, but I, and I also like, too, that this is a good point. And this reminds me of a book that I just saw came out of one of my all-time favorite authors, Lisa Turquoise, mm -hmm. about forgiveness. And everything I've seen so far, it's on my book list. Um, shows it's going to be an amazing book, but 
Forgiveness is not reconciliation. It does not necessarily mean the reestablishment of a relationship with a person you feel did you wrong. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes the problem with forgiveness is that people, we're getting deep today. Merry Christmas, everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, Happy holidays. We are real. It doesn't mean that because you forgive someone, it's saying like, okay, it's done. Mm -hmm. We can be whatever friends again, go back to the coworker relationship we had before, whatever the case is, how severe it is. It's, it's just acknowledging that you've let it go on your side. Mm-hmm. And honestly, there's so many health benefits to that as well. So um, harbor, she says, many of us harbor low-level anger or resentments all the time. And it's just, it's, it's letting go of our expectations of the difficult people in our lives. So I really liked this part of the chapter. So last part is uh, talk about a time in a career where you experience compassion fatigue and how did that situation conclude? Well, I think you kind of mentioned something earlier about it that I was thinking of is when I started teaching um, in Florida, I taught second grade and I worked in a very poor school where a lot of my students didn't even have their basic needs met. And I, you know, like you said, first year teaching, I'm going to save the world. I'm going to take care of all of these babies, all 25 of them. Like I would, I would buy shoes and clothes and go do home visits and make food and like constantly, you know, just take on all their suffering and bring it home with me. And it just, I got exhausted and got to the point where I wasn't, I wasn't giving the attention to what I, to my job Mm -hmm. and like putting the time in to make sure that what I can control Mm -hmm. are the six, seven hours a day that they're with me Mm -hmm. in my class. And so instead of spending all my time worrying or, you know, out buying clothes and stuff, um, spend my time planning my lessons and making sure that I'm creating an environment where they're safe when they're with me and they're loved when they're with me and they're supported with it when they're with me and just focusing my attention on that mm-hmm. um, was more sustainable than the other side of it because I can't control what happens when they go home. I can't control where they live or what they get or the things that are happening to them. But I can make sure that, like I said, when they're with me, they're getting, you know, everything that they need from me. So when I kind of switched my focus and spent my time on that, then I wasn't as tired at all. I didn't get fatigued at all. I was, I was the opposite. I was more motivated um, and more energized to, to work for them and to work with them. So it can be, um, I think as teachers, we tend to, take on the suffering of everyone (laughs) just kind of naturally because we are just the kids. I mean, we all work with adults. It's like everyone. Yeah. There's so many relationships. Yeah, for sure. And so that can be, I mean, that'll be the quickest way to burn out. Yeah. I feel like for sure. Great. Yeah. I think, uh, like you mentioned, Carrie, very similar for me, you know, when you enter in the teaching profession, you're like, I'm going to make a difference and you do, but very much like you, I spent that first year taking on all, um, the cares of the world for the students and you know when i taught first grade um when i found out i had latchkey kids that broke my heart and um, but it was a very real reality for where i was working and so and then i would buy them things too like you did and then at some point i had i got to the point i was like sam you can't you're going to be destitute a Mm -hmm. because you can't take you you can't take on like 20 kids and b you're exhausted and it made me think also about like social workers and other people who deal with such yeah. tremendous yeah. Um, issues. And, um, you know, like here was saying, I can only control what's going on in um, those hours that they're with me. So 
really making it to where we focused on family values in the classroom and making sure like we, you know, had certain jobs and responsibilities and made school and instruction the high point and making sure that every minute counted when they were with me and switching that focus. But also, um, you know, just really trying to make sure that they were allowed to be kids at school too, because a lot of them had a very adult responsibilities or had to take on adult roles at a very young age. And so just allowing them to have a moment where they can be a kid. That was the most important thing that I wanted for them. So. Yeah, I think I think that's definitely. I also think so at 22, obviously, like you guys are saying, but then at 31, when we became an assistant principal, I think that year was so hard because you think you know what assistant principals are doing and then you get into it and you're seeing so much more than you saw in the classroom, which is pretty incredible because if you have relationships in the classroom, you pretty much know what's going on with your kids. But but then you hear the parent side, you hear the community side, and it became, it can become so overwhelming mm -hmm. because you do, you care about all these people you're working with and your scope is so much larger. So before you maybe had as a secondary teacher, I had what, like 150, 200 kids, 200 plus, whatever. I don't remember now, mm -hmm. but, and then when you're dealing with an, an entire grade, if you're an assistant principal over discipline, and then you're dealing with the discipline, but then you're dealing with the reasons why kids are showing the specific behaviors you know, you're constantly mm -hmm. teetering between like, okay, you have to be disciplined, but then you're also having, you know, you want to show grace and compassion to these kids who maybe right. have a situation that's causing them to act like this. And then, you know, you have these stories are just seared into your brain that we still probably all think about as educators, even though we're not on campuses anymore. You know, I think of one kid specifically, I'll never forget him because the story was so heart-wrenching that I think, um, you know, the compassion fatigue is real, but I think this can apply to anybody though, not just mm -hmm. educators right now. And so I think that's why it's so timely. Uh, I want to say as we wrap up that, um, first of all, thank you, Sam and Carrie for doing the Onward series because you guys are such a, a great addition. But also this chapter has so much more that we haven't even touched on, covered, et cetera. So if you are listening, um, it is specifically for emotional resilience and educators, but like most books that touch on these types of leadership skills, I think it can be applied to anybody if you read it. Yeah. Um, if you work in any kind of organization with people, now if you work by yourself at home and there's nobody else, and if, maybe not. <laughs> I mean, yeah, coaching conversations self, with yourself. Self yeah, I mean, <laughs> emotional resilience yeah. is important in every facet of yeah. life. But yes. if you think this sounds interesting, like we can't say enough good things about this book. And um, so I think it's, and it's also super timely. So next next month, we're gonna, t we're gonna dive into our January topic of being a learner, which again can be applied to anyone. So. Thank you, Carrie and Sam. We'll yes, wrap it up you. with a happy holidays from all of us to you. And until next time, we will see you guys later. <laughs>